Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week, featuring women of faith from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Hello, Adorned Women. Welcome back to the Adorned Women podcast. I'm your host, Alicia, and this week's guest is Jess Aldred. Jess is from the U.S., and she works with YWAM Denver. For several years, she was in overseas missions working with children at risk, and now she works back in the U.S., working with a ministry that's designed to support and empower children and families in foster care. Something interesting about Jess's story to me was the role that passion played in her life. Early on, God gave her a passion for children at risk, and that's looked different ways at different points in her life. For one part of her life, it was serving overseas in overseas missions, and now it's serving the foster care system in the U.S. So God took the same passion and used it in multiple ways throughout her life, and He was able to do that. It didn't have to stay the same thing throughout her whole life. He's used her just as powerfully in some very different settings in very different ways. And so there's a lot more to the story that I can't wait for you to hear, but I want you to catch that. I want you to catch the importance of passion. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take it to God and ask God, how do you want to use this passion in my life to bless people, to be the hands and feet of Christ, and to serve and glorify you? He gave you that passion for a reason, so don't try to take it into your own hands. Take it to Him. Enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the Adorned Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Just like always, we'd love to get started by hearing some of the context surrounding where you're at and what it's like, uh, how you spend your days. Just share anything you got. Okay. So so I've worked with uh, Youth with a Mission all over the world. Right now, I work with uh, Youth with a Mission Denver. I run an organization out of Youth with a Mission Denver uh, called Haven Clothing Company. Uh, we're a wraparound ministry providing support to families uh, who provide foster care and children in foster care. Um, I also have four kids at home as well. So my days are pretty uh, different every day, but, um, you know, between uh, providing services for families in our area um, to just taking care of my own kids, it's kind of what my days look like. So, yeah. How old are your kids? So they're my oldest, uh, my only daughter, she's eight. And then I have three boys, age six, three, and one. All right. So a pretty young family. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's a handful. <laughs> yeah. When we go to the store with all of them, lots of people look. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, so day to day, how much time do you spend maybe with your kids and taking care of them? Do you homeschool them? I don't. Okay. So my two older kids are in a charter school. Um, and then my, uh, my two little ones usually come to work with me. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so day to day, what does that look like with, uh, what you're doing? What kind of things do you do throughout the day? So, um, <clears throat> Haven clothing company is half, uh, so, so our, our building is actually a coffee shop, um, called the bridge cafe. Um, and then the other half is our store where we have, um, an actual like boutique style store where kids placed in foster care can come and shop. And so uh, after I take my kids to school, I usually 
come to the store and open up the, the coffee shop and then our baristas show up and I help um, any families that come um, with their, you know, kids and shopping and, uh, and then also we have, we get requests online for families who can't come into the store. So if they can't come in to shop, then we package it for them and deliver it to them. So um, sometimes it looks like that um, just to kind of depends on the day uh, on what everybody needs, but usually I'm here. And, uh, and then obviously during the summer, uh, the kids will all be out. So they'll be running around here, but mm-hmm. that's such yeah. a unique ministry. I can't wait to hear how you got into that, how that got started and everything. So um, jump in, we can jump into your story a little bit here. Just take it back as far back as you want to go, but what sort of things have gotten you where you are today and made you who you are today? So uh, uh, since I basically became an adult, graduated high school, I started uh, working with children at risk right away. So that's been kind of my focus the entire time I've been in missions has been um, in in a lot of different capacities working with children at risk. So uh, obviously internationally working um, in street kids ministry with orphanages, um, uh, orphan rehabilitation centers, and then probably the most impacting season of my life where I spent time in uh, Liberia with uh, working with children there uh, with their education system, which is, was kind of messed up at the time. Uh, it was This was in 2010, so 12 years ago. I don't really know how much has changed since then, but in that time, uh, you know, I had a very small group of people. We went... Um, there was six of us to a really remote village in Liberia that didn't really have um, a, a good school system where they were learning phonetic reading. They were just learning like reading based on like memorization, which is like really limiting. And there was a lot of corruption in the schools um, regarding teachers and girls and all kinds of stuff like that. And so when we went on that trip, um, you know, you have this like certain thing in mind, like, oh yeah, we're just going to go like work with this school. But like, it's, it's so hard for kids to learn when like their situation, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like this, uh, it's, it's basically like a pyramid that draws out like the, the things that are more important in kids needs and education, um, is higher up. If kids are not being fed and they're not sleeping, then education becomes harder. And so we've, we found like that, uh, there was so much community development that needed to happen. Um, it just opened my eyes to how complex issues are. And so my husband and I, for six years, um, led a school at Wyoming Denver called the school of social justice, which was named that before social justice became a highly political thing. Um, but it mainly was for like, uh, people who wanted to, um, do long-term overseas missions. We want them to be educated before they go into that place. And they're like, wow, we can't even like start yet because there's so many complex things. We want them to be educated on those complexities before they're going in so that they really can be effective. And I think that's where the church has fallen short a little bit in our efforts. Not that like we haven't wanted to help children at risk or that we haven't wanted to help orphans or um, nations that are in crisis because of war. It's that our efforts have not always been successful because they haven't been like pre-educated before we go in and do those things because community development is the most important thing, more important than 
um, schools, education, any of that, like Christmas gifts, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so, and so I think that, um, you know, that's kind of why we, we led that school is because we want, when missionaries give their time and people go overseas and are ready and they're funded and they're, you know, they're excited we want to capture that and help them to be as absolutely effective as they can be. And sometimes they are so overwhelmed by the issues, they don't even know where to start. And that's kind of where we felt like in that situation in Liberia is like, there's literally kids dying of malaria everywhere. Like, how are we supposed to focus on education? Um, and so uh, that's kind of what led us in to engage with the foster care community in the United States, because if you look at the big social justice issues um, that we face in the United States uh, regarding uh, immigration, homelessness, uh, even like healthcare issues, poverty, uh, drug abuse, all those things, um, the foster care community is, is coming in contact with all of those things all the time. And it's feeding a lot of those things all the time. 20% of youth who, who age out of foster care become homeless immediately. And so alongside of our efforts to engage with um, the homeless community, which is in Denver, a really big issue right now, um, we need to also be working preventatively um, by helping kids in care and youth in care. So that's kind of like how we ended up doing this ministry here. I'm curious how your interest in children at risk came about. Did that start young for you? Did, was there an incident that happened that made that sort of open your eyes to that? How did that develop in you? So when I was a kid, I was, um, one of those like kids that loved babies and, you know, loved babysitting when I was like 10 and 11. That was like, I just loved always taking care of littler kids than me. And I think that that's really a God-given passion. You can always tell those people that are like baby people and people who are like not baby people. <laughs> um, and we all love our own children, but like, I love my own children, but I like really also love a lot of other children that are not my own children. It is just, it's just the way that I am. And I've always been that way. But um, when I was 16, which I felt like was a really strategic age, I don't know if like, my parents did it on purpose at that age, but my dad took me um, to Africa for the first time. My parents are missionaries and my dad used to go to Africa several times a year, um, all over different parts of Africa. And, um, and so when I was 16, he took me for like two weeks to Sierra Leone, which um, that would have been um, in about, I don't know, 2004, 2003 at that time. Have you seen the movie Blood Diamond? I have not, no. Uh, well, at that time, that is like what, what that movie is made off of, like what was happening at that time in that nation where uh, there was child soldiers, rebel uh, militia. There's um, just an insane amount of civil war over diamonds and mining and stuff like that. And um, so... So my dad takes me, you know, I'm, a, I'm like a normal 16 year old. I live in Colorado and I go to a public high school and, you know, I'm involved in my school and uh, my youth group, whatever, like normal things. But, you know, when you're a teenager, you, you just get very caught up in your own 
life and, um, and your friends and the, you know, the, the things, the petty things that teenagers care about. And, um, my dad at that very, uh, influential time in my life took me to somewhere that literally everything that I felt like was important to me at that time or whatever, you know, in my teenage world, uh, was put into perspective, um, by the, not only like the overwhelming poverty, but, um, just like how a lot of the world lives and how privileged we are, um, you know, white American middle-class kids. Like we just think like, oh yeah, like this is normal and this is fine. But like how absolutely privileged we are and how um, there's just people in the world living very differently and who need uh, a lot of support and a lot of help. And, and it was like through relationships. I remember, you know, we went to, um, hospitals. We went to, you know, orphanages cause we would just go out each day. And like, dude, I was just joining along with the teams there and what they were already doing. I would just go with them all day and, uh, and they would visit people's homes and bring medical care and stuff like that. And there was one day we went to this, um, like jail and they were like, yeah, we do this like weekly worship service with all the, you know, like inmates at this jail. And I'm like, okay. And so they literally are just like standing around in this circle and just like worshiping. And it's all these criminals just we're just there with them. There's no like glass, like anything between us, you know, it's just like, we're just there in this circle, like in this jail. And I thought going into that situation, I was going to feel so unsafe. Like, you know, I'm just this like little white girl and we're in this like African jail with all these criminals. And it was like one of the most impacting times of experiencing the Holy Spirit because these men were, they were all men, um, just were worshiping and crying out to God and praying out. And it was worship in a way that I really had never experienced before. And it just made me realize how like, how people when they are in absolutely at the end of themselves and have nothing else in their life, how desperate and how it is like our nature as humans to come back to God, because we know deep inside of us, like what is true. And these guys who like just had nothing left, just crying out to God for mercy and for grace and and just spilling out their love on Jesus. And it was beautiful and it was life-changing. And um, I think at that time, just being around the kids in the community, anyone who usually has done missions in Africa will tell you like, actually not just, just nations in Africa, but like a lot of places that are uh, experience a lot more poverty. Um, you know, obviously there's not as much birth control. So there's a lot of kids and they're very family oriented and there's just kids everywhere. And where there's children, there's so much more joy and so much more fun and kids will find fun out of anything. And, um, I just like, absolutely loved that. So that was like really the first, um, most impacting, like, 
time when I was like, I am definitely going to be a missionary and this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. So, so you mentioned at the beginning that you were in Liberia. You also mentioned that you had been overseas quite a bit. So at what point did you switch from being overseas to being here in the States with this one, one ministry? Oh, when I started having kids. Okay. That, honestly, if I didn't have young kids and maybe when I don't have young kids at home anymore, um, that'll be another part of our life. Cause my husband and I, um, just absolutely love the, um, the travel part of missions and, and going to com- different communities all over the world. is just amazingly life-giving and fun. And, um, we love that part of missions, but when we started having kids, we actually, uh, so we were on staff at YWAM Denver and we, uh, did a, like a scouting trip for nine months in Southern Mexico. When we had our first two kids, they were like three and one. And, um, and after that, when we returned, we just really felt like we needed to take a break from like overseas, uh, down dirty kind of missions, uh, for a small period of time while our kids were young, because it does put them at risk. And, and the reason that we, and obviously anything that God asked us to do, we would do. Um, but, um, you know, I don't like that kids who live in those nations are subjected to malaria and parasites and, um, dirty living conditions and stuff like that. But I don't think that more kids should be subjected to that. And so that's why when we became a family, we stopped um, doing that like overseas part of missions and focused on supporting people who are in a position where they can do it and there's less at risk. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting aspect of your story is like that transition. So you were doing this one thing that clearly you felt like you had a call to, God had made that clear. And then this this moment arose for, okay, this could be a change. And you just said how, if God asked you to do something, you'd do it. What did that exchange between you and God, your family and God look like when you were considering that transition and considering, um, sort of the shift in how your ministry looked? Well, I think like our time in Mexico was like slightly traumatizing. (laughs) It was really difficult because where we lived was not like Cancun. It was a really difficult area to live in. It was really tropical and um, really, really hot. And our um, children didn't tolerate that type of environment very well. And so it was just really difficult. And so when we came back, it was just... I think part of me felt like, oh, well, this is, I'm called to missions and I'm called to children at risk, but I guess I just can't do that anymore. I guess I just, my calling is just going to be as a mom. And it took me several years to, to come to terms with the fact that like, actually like God's calling on my life um, can still be the same even if it looks a little bit different, because what I'm passionate about is what I'm passionate about. And I absolutely believe that God made me to be a person who advocates for children who are at risk. And, and, and that's why we switched our focus to foster care because we were like, but there are children. We don't have to go to Africa. We don't have to go to Mexico. We don't have to go to India. We don't actually have to go anywhere outside of our own city to find children at risk. And we started to change our focus to um, 
to children in our neighborhood. And I actually have been really surprised at the, how great the needs are in our own city. And, and that's what I think a lot of moms, when you have young kids, um, feel that kind of like that sort of emptiness that is like, obviously you love your children and you love your, your life of like being a mom, especially if you're a stay at home mom, but it can become very lonely and it can become very consuming where you feel like you lost who you were before because you're all of a sudden just in 24 seven service mode. Like you're serving somebody else's needs 24 hours a day, especially if you have multiple children and, um, and not necessarily feeling like you have much of a purpose anymore. And like my heart. So we actually have, we, we love to utilize moms in our space because, um, moms can empathize with other moms like nobody else can, but also because moms have so much to offer, especially when you have like young kids, like it's just so hard to feel like you have anything to offer, especially if you're not working, you know? So I think that I had to go through a process of like finding myself again and finding what I was called to do and, and finding that like, I am still valuable in the kingdom, not just in raising my own children, even though that is a really important part of what I'm called to right now. But I can actually bring my kids alongside. Like yesterday, I took my kids after school to pick out shoes and clothes for um, a 10-year-old boy who's coming today. And we didn't have a lot of stuff in his size. So I was like, you know, um, why don't you guys come with me and we're going to pick out clothes. And my six-year-old boy was like, what about this Yoda shirt? And, you know, they really like being a part of picking things out for other kids. It's been tricky explaining to them, like why these kids need clothes because, <laughs> you know, they're kids. And, um, but, but for the most part, they love, they love to help. They love to, and when we have families come in here, like when they're here, they, they go and play with the kids, you know, in our playground here. And, um, it's fun, but yeah, it's definitely been a process. So I love that. And I love that that aspect of your story helps you minister to almost both sides. And it's funny. It's like, that's how God works. He just works both sides of the deal. You're ministering to these moms who maybe are where you are, you were at and kind of feeling like, okay, I've lost myself a little bit, but suddenly here's this purpose. Here's where I can help. And then on the other side, these families who are being helped and just receiving this blessing um, that you're able to provide through the ministry. I love that. Yeah. So you, you now work with these children at risk, these children in, in foster situations, and they're in similar situations. They're not in the best, in the best scenario. They're not in the best situation for their growth and their development. Um, what kind of things do you see in that? And I don't know with running, with running your, um, you called it the Haven. Is that what you said it was? Haven Clothing Company. Haven Clothing Company. Yeah. With running that, I don't know how much you do see, but what kind of things have you seen in those kids and um, how, what kind of opportunities do you have to share with them Christ and the Holy Spirit? Yeah. So um, there's a lot. The foster care system is first off, like an amazing solution to, um, children not being cared for by their biological family. However, like if you look at like compared to a lot of other nations that institutionalize orphans or institutionalize kids who can't be taken care of in orphanages, 
foster care is a better situation and it's a good solution to that. But the foster care system itself, it's a system and families and family relational issues are all individual. They're all different and they each need to be approached differently, but the government cannot provide that. The government cannot provide an individual approach for each family. They can put, um, they can put, you know, principles in place and policies in place, but those policies are not like one size fits all, um, but they kind of have to be. So there is some brokenness in the system itself, which is really difficult. Um, but I think that, a, like, I don't know, when you're talking about kids, children who are still developing, and that is up until 18, kids' brains are still developing. When they experience trauma from a premature baby up to 18, there are fundamental things that happen in that person's brain and in that child's brain. And the most evident like response to those traumas is behavioral issues. And I think that a big misconception in the United States or or anywhere that there's foster care is that like, oh, well, I, I wouldn't be able to deal with, you know, the behavioral issues of kids in care. And they get this stigma, which a lot of stigmas are based on truth, but they don't have behavioral issues because of them. They have behavioral issues because um, a lot of times they don't always, like a lot of kids go through care and they don't have issues at all. But um, I think that more people and more parents and more like even people in the church becoming trauma informed and like how to deal with kids in care um, would be really helpful because what, what I see on a daily basis um, is that like I see um, foster parents who are giving everything for these kids and it is exhausting. It is a huge burden to carry and not just because and not the kids, the kids are not the burden. It's, it's all of it. It's the system, it's the visitations, it's the court, it's all of the stuff, the back and forth, the not knowing, um, you know, the kids going back to their biological parents and then coming back and then going to live with a family member and then getting placed in a different foster home or whatever it is. That is a really, really hard system to deal with. And the foster community is amazing at supporting each other. Um, Cause they know, they know, and they understand what those other families are going through. Um, but the church has not been super educated on how to impact the foster care community as the church. And we have so many organizations that make it really easy for us to access orphans in other nations and children at risk in other nations. We can send donations every single month to sponsor a child to go to school, a child that we've never met and we will never ever meet in our entire life and write the letters back and forth and do all that stuff. And those are amazing organizations that are educating thousands of kids and getting them stable and keeping them in their homes and all that stuff. Packaging Christmas presents, you know, all that stuff that the church does all the time. That is really awesome. But how many times have you had someone stand in the front of your church and say, these kids are in your neighborhood and here's how you can help them on a weekly basis. I've never, I've never, and I've gone to church my whole life. And so I'm not saying that one is more important than the other because it's all important, but there should be options for the church 
for the people that live in this city and live in this neighborhood to be a support to those foster families because only um, 50% of them, half of them that go through the whole process, it takes about a year to get certified. They'll go through their whole process to get certified and they only last one year. 50% of them make it past one year in foster of doing foster care. And then only 20% make it past two years. So the government is going through this whole process of certifying these parents. And it is so hard because there's not a lot of support for them. And so our entire goal at Haven is to carry as much of the burden as we can so that these foster parents can be foster parents for longer. And it's to utilize people in the church that want to be involved and don't know how it's both. It's as much for the church as it is for the families that we encounter, because like, I can't even tell you how many churches we've gone into. And there are this specific, this specific demographic that's the most helpful are women over the age of 50 because they've been moms, they've had careers, they have so much to offer. They're usually financially stable and they want to help. And the church doesn't have a lot of ways of utilizing that specific demographic. And I can't even tell you how many of them come in every single day. Almost we have women of that demographic coming in and bringing bags of clothes that they went shopping and they got shoes and they absolutely love it. They love delivering meals to our families, um, making meals, delivering them to, to them and checking up on them once a week and stuff like that. So that's, that's really like the, the, the two things that we're doing the most. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that you're 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 finding ways for the church to utilize just their gifts, their their natural ability to do these things to provide these simple things for families that are just desperate for that. So something so simple as just extra clothes, new clothes, and some meals, some check-ins. Um, that's a fantastic yeah. ministry. Yeah, I'm wondering what happened to sort of start this whole thing? Because um, you mentioned how it's kind of a few years in the making of, of getting from, okay, I guess I'm just out of, out of this ministry, I'm no longer called to work with kids at risk, to, okay, maybe there is a way to do that in the U.S. How did that, um, how did the ministry initially start? What, what kind of sparked it? And how did it grow? So when uh, my husband and I were, le- were leading the School of Social Justice at YWAM Denver, um, we would talk a lot about like foster care and how important it is for the church to be involved. But we are not at a place where we could personally be foster parents. And that was really hard for me because I'm like, how are we even supposed to help if we can't be foster parents? And, um, and I carried that for like probably two years where I was like, there's just no way for us to, to, to even be a part of that if we're not foster parents. And, um, I last year was, um, I actually went on like a little vacation with a good friend. Um, we just went away to, um, the mountains. She came to visit and we went away to the mountains and left kids with husbands. And, um, and she is a foster mama. Well, she's not anymore. She, her and her husband adopted 
three boys out of the system um, who were kids, not babies. Mm-hmm. And um, just, she was just sharing with me about a lot of the support that they have, the community support that they have, the different organizations. And simultaneously at that same time, my mom, who's on the board of YWAM Las Vegas, um, was at a board meeting there and they were sharing about their ministry. Um, I think there's this called foster connect or something like that. Um, and, and how they engage the community and they have all these different outlets. And I was like, that's so cool. It was like the two people, two people that are influential in my life talking to me about like all the, all the ways that you can support foster families, um, kind of at the same time. And I'm like, why isn't there anything like that here? Like, why isn't my web Denver doing that? And why, you know, why isn't there a clothing closet that has new clothes? That, that was my thing is I'm like, I'm like, why are they all like thrift stores? Like I, I get that it's great to uh, recycle other people's clothing, but the things you find at thrift stores are things people don't want anymore and they don't want them for a reason. And taking a step that you don't want anymore and giving it to a foster child doesn't send a good message to them. And so it's all about the message. It's not actually about the clothes at all. It's all about the message of dignity. And so my idea was that, you know what, like I want to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start. Um, I had managed the cafe here at YWAM Denver, which is our, the bridge cafe. And we have a classroom side where we had always were actually, we let our school um, on that classroom side. And I'm like, I'm like, we're going to turn this into a store. It's a beautiful building coffee shop. It's got the right feel. It's like a boutique. And I'm like, we're going to turn this into a store and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to get new clothes and new shoes and new bedding and everything's going to be new and kids can come and shop and they can pick out what they want. And it's going to be a dignified shopping experience for them. And it's not going to be other people's leftovers. It's going to be, I went and bought clothes that I would buy for my own kids for you not this is all the stuff that my kids don't want anymore and you can have it. And it's more than a foster clothing closet. And so that's kind of where like all of that came from and um, where it started and it's going really well. I mean, we've had amazing feedback and also everyone's like, how are you going to get new clothes? Like who's going to do that? Like, believe me, there are people who love to shop for kids. So many people who love to shop for kids and they have so much fun doing it. And we had like this weekend, we had a clothing drive and we had hundreds of items that were donated. I'm still going through them. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's been amazing. Yeah. What are some of the coolest God moments you've seen come out of this? So we had a moment where we had these two little girls come in who had been victims very obviously of neglect and maybe other things, but definitely neglect. And uh, one of the older one was like four and she wasn't super verbal, but it didn't seem like it was in like a special needs way. It seemed sort of like it was in a, like she was never talked to kind of way. And when they came in, I'm like a stranger to them, you know, and a lot of kids treat me like a stranger. They're like, why are you talking to me? And that's fine. I totally get that because especially when they're kids who have just been put in the, in care, there are so many people that are new to them that are talking to them that, you know, and depends on their personality, but 
she came into our store and it was like, when I knelt down and said, do you want to pick out some clothes? It was like her eyes, she was like so excited that I was making eye contact with her and that I was talking with her and she knew exactly what she wanted. Um, she did not want anything with like Paw Patrol or rainbows, but everything that had Elsa on it, <laughs> everything we had in her size that had Elsa, she took the shoes, the clothes, you know, and, and then the, there was this like unicorn hooded towel. And I like literally remember because she knew so clearly what she wanted and she was so excited to pick it out and to pack it into her like suitcase. We put everything in a duffel bag um, for them. And it just was so sweet. And she didn't even say a word. It was like her eyes said everything. And um, it was really, really sweet. And then we had a, a grandma. So we also um, work with kinship families, which are when uh, uh, like a foster family is like an unrelated family that takes a child. But kinship is when they find a, a relative, um, like a biological relative to take the children. And um, sometimes relatives do not receive the same um, reimbursement or, or stipend from the government. So like um, they don't have as much money um, to help the kids that they are placed with. And we had a grandma that already was taking care of one grandchild at home. And then she got placed with another set of grandchildren that was a set of five so this grandma now has six of her grandchildren that she's taking care of in her home. And it was a very tiny home. And when I walked in to their house, we always bring a meal with um, our, when we like drop off the package, we always bring a meal to them. And I literally wish I had brought 10 meals because not only do they have six kids, but when I walked in, this like six-year-old boy was like, is that food? Like he was so excited that I had brought food. He did not care about anything else. And I just was like, oh, <laughs> like I need to, you know, and that's why like setting up them with like people who will bring the meals every single week is such a big deal because when there's neglect that is present in the situation, there's food insecurity and food insecurity is across the board almost always an issue with children in care. Um, they don't know when they're going to eat next or they had uh, not been taken care of in that way in the past. And so when you don't have food available for them, it makes them feel really insecure. And so food is like a really big deal for them. Um, and it was just like, I don't know, just interacting with the kids as a mom, it just, it brings you so much joy, but also like it just reinforces that purpose so much. Like we need to be taking care of the kids in our communities. It is absolutely the mandate of the church to be taking care of the kids at risk in our own community. Yeah. I love that God has planted that passion in you and then sustained ways for you to act on that and carry out, you know, things that he has for people, blessings that he has for people, um, in just different ways throughout your life. And, um, I think it's amazing the way that you do that and the way that you've just followed each step as it's come and just seen the fruit of that. Um, so thank you for sharing your story. As we wrap up, I would like to just ask about your perspective. You've shared a little bit about your perspective um, related to the church's support of foster families and um, and 
children at risk. So could you share, as we finish up, just a little bit more about your observations of the church? And, you know, I like to ask the question, if Paul was writing a letter to your church, what would he say in it? What would he point out in it? Um, Just those kind of things. From my point of view, I, I always say like, I have the best job ever because I get to see people's generosity every single day. Every day I get to see, and it's not always a reflection as the church, like a church, like a pastor or their ministries, but the church as like the body of Christ, there are so many generous people and they're just looking for ways to be generous. And I get to see that every single day. Even we have a woman who comes in, who's, um, who's an empty nester. She's maybe in her sixties and she um, comes in and brings stuff that hurt because she takes care of her mom who's in a home and she visits her a couple times a week. And her mom, who's in her 90s, will give her her credit card and say, like, go spend $40 for the kids. And she'll bring stuff from her mom who's 90, you know, and just like, like people just want to give and they want to give to children and they want to help. We had another pastor who was in here yesterday who who gathers like when um stores like costco gets rid of like their same day uh stuff like that they they can't sell the next day chickens so many chickens um and muffins and even like frozen meals that are frozen but they can't sell them anymore he takes them he runs a food bank but he also came and he was like can i bring you like i have stacks of diapers i have um so many frozen meals and we deliver meals with every package. So that is like a huge blessing to us to have even bring multiple meals to families. Um, you know, and he's just, he's already doing so much in his community and then also like partnering with us. And I think like my biggest reflection on the church is now that we are providing a way, um, they are stepping up like a hundred percent and it's just been really cool to see. And I know that there are, there are aspects of the church that are broken and there are aspects of the church that are gluttonous and greedy. And, you know, there are some Christians that don't live Christ-like, but I feel like there are just so many who understand the heart of God and who want to give and who want to be generous. So, yeah. And you just, Got to be obedient and providing those opportunities for them. And yeah, yeah being the channel. Yeah, absolutely. So Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That is an encouraging note. Um, and I do see that. I see that a lot. Um, as we finish up here, do you have any prayer requests just for um, your local body, your local body of Christ, um, prayer requests for your family, or, and then prayer requests for yourself? Well, I think like our biggest prayer request is just that like we would be able to continue to access more families. Um, Spreading the word is um, actually really difficult because there's uh, agencies that only sometimes want to um, provide. They want to be the ones to provide for their people that are certified to them or whatever. (laughs) We just want to like help any families that are in need. So um just that like the word would continue to be spread, which like these kind of opportunities are really great because we want people to know we're here. And um, so that we can help more families. Um, And then always finances are a big prayer request because, you know, um, myself and our staff, we, um, we are, uh, um, we 
we volunteer our time and we live off of um, donation-based support. And that's always a big request. We have several staff, some of them are moms, some of them are not. And, um, and then also for just Haven that we would continue to be able to be full of clothes for kids. And, you know, uh, I had someone from a different organization saying, are you sure you want me to tell all our families because they're going to like wipe you out. And I'm like, well, we don't want these clothes just sitting here. Like if if we're completely empty, then we'll deal with that when we get to it. But, um, you know, we always have like, I feel like we always have like a theme, like each week we'll have like toddler boys that come in that week. And then that whole section is like empty or, you know, some babies. We had one week where we had so many babies. Um, so it just depends, but yeah, finances are always a big, always a big thing. But again, like I said, there's always generous people who are coming in our doors. So, um, so yeah. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.